Good morning. This is uh, your host, Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint. Happy Monday, everyone. Uh, another news flash from WDEV. It's raining. I'm sure you're surprised. Uh, came down from St. Albans uh, to Waterbury, and everybody's hydroplaning a little bit, and it's quite interesting, uh, but got here safely. The peanut mobile was here, as you heard, and uh, they're traveling all over the country. I want to do a shout-out to my son. Happy birthday to Casey, 30 years old. I was seven when he was born, so uh, well, not quite. That might be a little bit of an exaggeration. It was at least nine. Uh, so we have a, a great show today. Uh, we'll begin with uh, Moreau Weinberger in a, in a minute or two. Uh, long, longest serving mayor of Burlington in, uh, consecutively and, uh, has had a long career and, uh, seen a lot and, uh, look forward to talking with the mayor. At 10 o'clock, we're going to talk with Brian Lapine, who is with the Vermont Air National Guard. He is the vice commander of the 158th Fighter Wing. Uh, so we'll hear, you know, get some updates on the guard and, all the things they do in in the region and globally. At 10.30, Master Sergeant Courtney Weiser from the Vermont Army Guard, and she does recruiting. She's a longtime recruiter for over 10 years, and she'll be talking about job opportunities that are out there for for, uh, anyone who's interested in a lot of benefits, college education, pay, and stuff like that. So it's a it's an opportunity. It's a choice uh, people can make, and I uh, look forward to talking with her. I had uh, my full moon hike up Elmore on uh, Saturday night, and uh, it was supposed to be rainy and cold, and it turned out when I got up on top of the fire tower that the clouds dispersed and the moon was as beautiful as can be, and it was all worth it. And uh, So that's my fitness once a month at least. So I want to uh, welcome to the show, Vermont Viewpoint, uh, Mayor Burlington, Moreau Weinberger. Welcome this morning. Good morning, Brad. It's great to be with you, as always. Yeah, well, it's great to have you back, and um, it's exciting times. I want to begin, I know you've made an announcement to not seek a fifth term, and before we start, I just want to thank you for your service to Burlington, and I know I know there's a lot of work before March hits, but... Certainly, uh, thank you for for a long time service and, and everything you've done. Well, thanks for that, Brad. I um, I'm grateful to have been able to serve in this role for so long. It's um, uh, you know every day I get up and uh, am grateful to be in a role where you know if you do your job right, you can help your friends, your neighbors, <clears throat> um, in really impactful ways that uh, make their lives better. You know, the city's responsible for. So many elements of basic life in Burlington, whether it's lights or water, sewer, streets, parks, um, <clears throat> the arts, the airport. I mean, it's really a full-service city, we, and it's been a real joy uh, to be able to work on these, these issues for so long. Yeah, so let's uh, go back in time. Uh, you're, you're a, a Brattleboro native, and... Uh, were, was public service part of your early year uh, thinking or ambition, or 
Yeah. I mean, let me be clear about the Brattleboro native thing, too. I, I was I, – I, I, I entered the world in the hospital down there, but um, – uh, when uh, <laughs> when I was when we left the hospital, we went back to where I grew up, which is the Upper Valley, Heartland and Woodstock. I, uh, most of my my parents still live in the house that we moved into. That my uh, my dad, who was an architect, basically built himself when uh, uh, when I was about five, and they still are down there in Heartland. Went graduated from uh, Woodstock Union High School, and yes. Um, I, my parents were very engaged with uh, with politics and with with the issues of the day. And every we, you know, we were one of those families, fortunately, that ate dinner together just about every night. And we would always talk about current events and politics and, and what was going on in the world. And I, I do think I kind of took from that a sense that uh, government mattered, that public service mattered, and um, had the incredible opportunity to kind of start to uh, realize uh, a little bit more about what that meant when I, while still in college, was able to spend um, eight months in Senator Leahy's D.C. office as, a, as an intern and as a mail opener, and um, that was a very formative experience as well, and um, then had, uh, when I just when I got out of college, uh, the opportunity to work on a big U.S. Senate campaign in Pennsylvania, working for a man, really kind of remarkable American uh, named Harris Wofford on a uh, hard fought of ultimately losing a U.S. Senate campaign. So between those experiences, uh, by the time I, you know, it's around uh, 20, uh, 21 or so, um, I was uh, pretty uh, hooked um, on the idea that, that public service mattered. Yeah. And what about role models in Heartland and um earlier years, high school years, teachers, uh, were there influencers that you look back on and are grateful for? Hmm. Well, um, you know, Brad, I haven't thought about that in a long time. What immediately comes to mind, I had a wonderful English teacher when I was in junior high school named Andrea Alsop, and um, she really imparted in me a respect for the value of good writing, uh, and I've always been a, committed to writing and clear communications in writing ever since. I think that had a huge impact. Um, I went to school with one of Peter Welch's kids and uh, uh, Michael Smith Welch. We called him we called him uh, Poncho at the time. And um, <laughs> so I got to see as a uh, third, fourth, fifth grader. Um, uh, Peter Welch at that point in his career, when he was a state senator from. Windsor County. So that probably had, had an impact as well. And, um, I remember when I was working on that first campaign for Harris Wofford, who was really an inspiration in himself. I mean, he was, uh, he's a kind of Forrest Gump like figure almost in American politics. He was there at the formation of the Peace Corps and AmeriCorps. He was the, he encouraged uh, then candidate John F. Kennedy to call Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in the Birmingham jail. Um, he, uh, settled on a campaign slogan when he, in 1991, um, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, I think it was 1991 that, um, if every, um, every Criminal America has the right to a lawyer. Every working American should have the right to a doctor. And he got elected in a big upset over the former U.S. Attorney General Dick Thornburg. Uh, 
from that. So, and, and then the people who were involved in that campaign went on to run Bill Clinton's campaign. So he was in so many ways at the center of pivotal moments in American history. That was pretty exciting to be around. And uh, all, those, all those experiences uh, certainly contributed to what I have today. Yeah, it's quite amazing. And uh, I remember uh, you talk about writing uh, Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail is a remarkable piece of writing that uh, people, if they haven't read it, it's it's very pertinent to today as it was when he wrote it uh, from, from the jail. Uh, so you got a... Um, formidable high school education, I think, and, and stuff because you were able to head on to Yale and, uh, study or, you know, study and, and complete Yale with a couple majors. What, what, how did that play into, uh, becoming, you know, politically involved in life? Mm. Well, I, um, I was very lucky to go to Yale, of course, and had a, had a great experience there. Uh, a key moment in my time there was that I actually, you know, we didn't have this term back then, but we call it a, a gap year now after my, my sophomore year. Um, that's when I worked uh, in Sarah Lady's office, and that was a little bit inspired. I, I made a – after my freshman year, I uh, my mom lent me her car for the summer, and I uh, had a um, – I, I was able to uh, kind of pitch and convince the Valley News down there in the Upper Valley to pay me uh, a bit to write weekly columns about a trip uh, across the country and back going to baseball games in every Major League Baseball stadium, which, you know, wow. baseball in a lot of ways had been my uh, childhood passion. And um, so that um, – uh, you know, it was a, it was a chance to really uh, put that good writing uh, to use. But another thing that did to me, I'd never been west of Pennsylvania before that trip. I, I came back from the trip with a uh, real awe for the great open spaces of this country, the beauty of the country, the, the uh, remarkable natural resources of, of America, and um, uh, committed to that double major, which was a – um, the, the primary major was in American studies, which was a great major at the time, kind of a, well, the, the university was known for it. Um, it was history and writing, literature and policy and, and more, um, a lot that was sort of put under that umbrella. But then I, and then I also was an environmental studies major at the, at the time you had to do that as a second major. Um, and that came out of that, uh, you know, again, that sense that we had this uh, pretty remarkable country and, needed to uh, work to ensure that it stayed this uh, great natural world. And, um, you know, looking back on it, those were, that was a great foundation for everything that I um, have been able to go on to do. I still, um, some of the, the principles and, and learnings of that time, I, I do think still stick with me in some ways uh, 30 years later. Yeah. It's amazing how we, we sort of are in life and we don't know exactly how it will apply, but it's, each component is like its own MBA of sorts, and whether it's labor or whatever it is, it's always valuable. We're talking this morning with uh, Mayor of Burlington, Murrow Weinberger. Mayor, the environmental studies at, at Yale uh, back then—it's a little—it's been a while. Um, was was climate change or global warming part of studies then? Were they were they queuing into that at all, or what? 
It was, Brad. You know, we've seen this emergency coming for a long time, and um, it was very much a discussion topic then in the, uh, you know, that was the late 80s, early 90s. And, um, um, you know, uh, interestingly, uh, I remember reading pieces by um, a professor there at at Yale at the time, uh, William Nordhaus, who um, would go on to win a Nobel Prize in economics, I believe, for um, that work. Uh, he was really the first to say the best way to get this problem under control would be to put um, some kind of price on on carbon. And um, uh, that uh, his uh, um, niece is a woman named Jessica Nordhaus, who ends up who lives here in Burlington now and um, was uh, my campaign manager on uh, my first uh, run for mayor 12 years ago. Small world, uh, huh? <laughs> it is a small world, right? <laughs> uh, and then Habitat for Humanity was part of your world. Uh, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. Were, were you actually working and building homes with, with that or – yeah, that's exactly right, Brad. My first, it was the first thing I did after uh, kind of taking uh, the summer off after I graduated. I made my way down to Americus, Georgia, which is a small town, um, a couple hours south of Atlanta, rural Georgia, where Americus, uh, uh, sorry, where uh, Habitat for Humanity International was headquartered at the time. They may have moved a lot of their operations to Atlanta since, I'm not sure, but back then they were. They had a big presence there, and I got to be on a crew that um, – it was a really interesting assignment. Basically, I worked with about five other folks, uh, at least one of which actually was a skilled carpenter, to um, get ready for these weekend events, these community blitz builds, they call them, where hundreds of people would come out, and we built a home for an elderly couple that had really played by their rules their whole life, but had come on very hard times late in life. And we were able to build a new home in five consecutive Saturdays uh, with these volunteer labor. It takes a lot of work in the, in the week in between the Saturdays to make that possible. And I was on the crew that, that did that. And it really was a, um, it was only about a three month experience, Brad, but it was a outstanding introduction to um, the importance of high quality housing, the, the foundation in life that it can give to people um, to who are experiencing hard times. I will never forget the uh, ceremony that was held with hundreds of you know hundreds of people who have been involved in this, um, uh, where the, this elderly couple was given the keys to their home, their children who had moved. Many who have kind of were living around the country, they all came home and bought the furniture for their parents to move into this home. And it was um, it was really a remarkable moment and one that stuck with me. And I, I went on from that to work on that almost year long U.S. Senate campaign. But after the campaign, I went back to housing as a career for the next 15 years in a large, in many ways, inspired by that uh, pretty remarkable first experience. It it is remarkable, yeah. To 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 build a home like that with so many people is quite amazing. It reminds me of an Amish barn raising concept, and uh, and I'm also I I worked for the ferry company for 
a number of years and I was a, a dock boy, a gas shack boy, a deck hand, a ticket booth person. And it sounds to me like from my experience, I got to know each component and with your building with the habitat, you got to know the, the grounds up components that really helped later in life as you pursued the building career. Oh, it was a, it was a powerful community, uh, experience in a lot of ways. Uh, one thing that always stuck with me about it, Brad, is, um, I remember we made a error in the, in the laying of the foundation. There was something we didn't get exactly right. It was, seemed like a fairly modest, uh, imperfection, but, um, it carried through the whole project all the way, all the way up to the roof line because, because there was sort of uh, unevenness there. Uh, I can't even remember exactly what it was. I think there was like a little bit of a bend in the, in the wall line, like everything from the framing to laying the foundation to putting on the roof. It, it took more work at each step of the way to, uh, to correct for that kind of foundational error, if you will. And uh, that, that always stuck with me as a kind of profound, uh, a profound um, <clears throat> lesson. Uh, it was also remarkable to me how simple, uh, even as a, you know, unskilled guy, I, I never really uh, done a whole lot in construction before that, but um, that uh, building a home broke down a series of very straightforward uh, tasks, um, it, it kind of the mystery of, of, uh, of, a, of a modern building, which is sort of, I think a black box to many of us. How did, how does this thing come into being? Uh, I was surprised by how straightforward in some ways each step of the process was. And, um, that, uh, yeah, I think about those things even today. Yeah. And, and very, like you said, you, things have to go right all along. And, uh, from that, you get a good product. And I promise you we'll get to talk about you being mayor because that's kind of significant. But I do want to jump. Um, you went to Kennedy School of Government, and you said earlier there were connections to John F. Kennedy with, you know, um, folks in your earlier life. What was Kennedy School of Government like, and what was that part of your preparation? Yeah, so – um, I had, we've, we've talked a little bit about what I did, right? When I first got out of college, uh, I went on to another housing job, um, in Florida. It was a Hurricane Andrew recovery project. And after being there for a, a little while, I, I was sort of increasingly aware that if, uh, I was going to, um, do more work in housing, I, I really needed a broader understanding of, the work I was doing, you know, how I, I really uh, um, wanted to understand the kind of broader policy debates and planning uh, debates. And so uh, I was able to get that at the Kennedy School. It was, I, it was a, it was a two-year program. I had a concentration in housing and uh, I think it was housing and transportation is the way the concentration worked and um, was able to have a, uh, essentially a fellowship at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development um, for one the summer uh, when I was at, at in in that graduate program. It was actually interestingly now looking back, I, it was it was in Andrew Cuomo's office. He was the secretary at the time, and uh, that was um, you know uh, eye opening to to see how a major. Uh, Federal department was was run. I got to have some some 
visualization into it. Um, another really formative experience about those years uh, that has shaped me, um, Brad, was I, I was living in a it was a big you know group house. I think there was uh, eight or nine of us uh, in various graduate programs there. One of the people living in the house was a woman named Samantha Power, who had been a very close friend of mine um, from uh, from undergraduate studies, and she was at the Harvard um, Law School while I was at the Kennedy School, and we jogged together a lot. And she, she would she was in the process of uh, writing what would go on to be really one of the great seminal books of our time um, called. Uh, <clears throat> um, problem from health. It was about U.S. responses to genocide going back to World War II. And uh, that book launched her to winning a Pulitzer and, and going on to having a major career in government. She's right now serving as our uh, head of the USAID for President Biden. And so having a huge role in the international conflicts and challenges we see around the world. And so uh, to get to it was quite inspiring to see someone uh, really um, working so hard to improve the world and, you know, having be a contemporary, someone I'd known it so well, I think uh, expanded my understanding of, you know, what is possible with uh, hard work and focus uh, in the world. Did you have long political discussions as you jogged? You must have been in good shape, too. <laughs> <laughs> we, she, we did talk in those jogs uh, about – her just grappling with uh, this terrible problem of genocide and uh, how she um, was coming to understand the failures of, of U.S. responses and in the past. And, uh, you know, uh, that book has, since that time, we have been much more active in these genocidal situations when they take, take place. And a large part of that comes from, uh, you know, what kind of the, the truths that she revealed to everyone and, and the failures to act uh, previously. So it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, those, I, those were, they were quite, it was quite a time. Um, and uh, I'm really proud of her and what she's done. Yeah. It's interesting. Influence on influence, how, you know, how we learn. I know that Henry David Thoreau uh, influenced Gandhi on passive resistance. You know, you think about how far around the world that notion travels we're talking this morning with Murrow Weinberger, mayor of Burlington. And, Mayor, uh, one more uh, wearing of hats question. Uh, you were board president of Turning Point, uh, alcohol and drug addiction recovery organization. It's dear to my heart. I um, fortunately uh, have been in recovery from alcohol for 20 years last week, so I certainly appreciate the struggles that people have, and and I'm assuming that that also was uh, developmentally important for everything that you've done as mayor as well. That's right, Brad. I <clears throat> um, I'm fortunate never have had to have had a you know serious addiction myself, but I've always had just a sense that that was just a little bit luck of the draw, and I can. Um, uh, can see how you know very aware of how um, <clears throat> limited how, how uh, vulnerable we all are to um, <clears throat> these forces taking over our lives in really negative ways. And so I was uh, when I had uh, was approached about serving on the Turning Point Center, I um, looked into it and was just amazed by how many people were directly helped by 
that small, you know, what was at the time, you know, really a very small organization running on a shoestring budget, hand to mouth kind of was always uh, at that back then there was very little government support. And yet it was serving thousands and thousands of Chittenden County residents every month. And uh, so I got involved, helped uh, find a larger space for the center, eventually um, became, uh, for a brief period of time, the president of the board um, and helped uh, with some lobbying efforts that over time have made it a much better funded agency. Uh, the last two governors have both, um, as well as many legislators, have been very supportive of the network of recovery centers that we have around the state, and it has matured into um, an even more valuable uh, program that today provides, uh, has really pioneered this um, world of, of recovery coaching, something that really didn't, uh, you know, had, had sort of long been part of the ethic of 12-step programs that you get peer-to-peer -peer assistance, but uh, it had not really been anyone's job, at least in Vermont, to really commit to that kind of peer support, and um, the Chittenden County Turning Point Center has really led the way on that in a lot of ways. So, yeah, and that had, certainly has fed into probably the the issue that I've spent the most time on as mayor, um, which is the trying to uh, stand up responses to this just terrible drug crisis that has seized the city and the state and, and the country in just a devastating way. Um, and that, you know, to this day is, is one of our, I would say it's our, in many ways our biggest challenge. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And, you know, it's interesting. You, you have this housing background too. And what I hear, you know, from people who are dealing with this day to day is just the basics of housing and warmth and food are the fundamentals that, get lost on on people that are so important and so the the housing component that you have been advocating for is really an important part of that recovery world as well there's no doubt that without a stable place to sleep at night and to organize your affairs from and, and to, you know, have just without that, I think it is very hard to, um, uh, it, you know, it's like, it's like the foundation that we talked about before uh, from the Habitat experience. I, I do think having a safe, decent home is foundational to uh, people being able to have a a successful life, and um, it is really quite uh, concerning that right now in Vermont we have the second highest rates of homelessness of any state in the country. Just a staggering fact, um, something that I think is completely out of the character of what Vermonters want this place to be, and you can see that um, on the streets of Burlington and, and many other communities in, in the state right now. And uh, I do see that as very much uh, tied to the drug crisis that we are seeing. We we do know that for, we are having some success in our emergency shelters, um, in particular the Elmwood Avenue shelter that we started at the beginning of this year and with a kind of public health approach to homelessness. We know we are having some success uh, with the stability that we that folks in that shelter have been able to achieve uh, some success getting back to work 
getting into drug and mental health treatment and uh, some success, although this has been much slower than we hoped into getting into permanent housing. Um, the, that's a whole other story, of course, why we have not been able to place more people in permanent housing. And it has to do with this major debate we've had over the closing of the hotel program, which uh, perhaps we want to get into. But um, I, the, the point being that I, I, I continue to believe, as I have ever since that that volunteer experience just out of college, that uh, housing is, is critical um, uh, if we are going to see people in crisis turn their lives around. Yeah, well, um, kudos to you for for that. It, it certainly is uh, global. We'll say that, and uh, every effort is much appreciated. I'm looking at uh, back in 1865, uh, a man by the name of Albert Catlin was elected mayor of Burlington, and I'm looking <laughs> at party, Republican, 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 Democrat in 1870, Republican, Republican, then Democrat in 1874. You were elected in March of 2012 as a Democrat. What, what is the party part of being mayor? Is, it's, it's sort of confusing to me to understand why, what's the importance of that, or is it just a, a method to, to get elected? So, Brad, uh, this is one of the debates that goes back to the, the very beginnings of this country, right? Uh, many of our founding fathers thought that um, perhaps there was a way to govern this country without without parties. Um, but uh, I, I think it's been pretty um, convincingly demonstrated that parties play a critical role in governance um, for the simple reason that uh, politics are a team sport, especially in America and our system where uh, authority is very diffuse. Um, <clears throat> no one, you know, we believe uh, strongly coming out of the system that we, the sort of royal <clears throat> monarchical system we suffered under that um, it was important that no one person in government have all the power. And you see that even very much so in uh, Burlington, which despite having what we call a strong mayor form of government, which certainly gives the mayor a great deal of authority. I uh, set the budget, I get to hire the department heads for 20 different departments. Um, the I have a veto. Um, it's a full-time job. I get paid to do this. There are many things that make it, to give the mayor, uh, to kind of give the mayor the ball in our system, if you will. But Nonetheless, uh, you can't do a whole lot with that ball without a team of people that you are working with to uh, get, you know, in council approvals. The, the city council um, uh, also is, we call it strong mayor, strong city council form of government, and that almost anything that the mayor wants to do needs to be approved by the city council. And then we have other elements of the way um, our government is set up that, spreads authority and responsibility around further. We have uh, about, I think, 11 different boards and commissions that uh, people are appointed to, Burlington residents are appointed to, and they play an important role in the governance of the city as well. And so to um, to lead the city in that system, to get things done effectively and, and uh, with uh, the pace that our problems today demand, uh, you really need to be um, working with uh, 
with, with others. And during most of my time as mayor, um, uh, we have had a uh, city council that has Democrats and progressives and Republicans and, and independents. And my party, the Democratic Party, did not have a controlling majority on the council during almost the entire time I've served. And so that I've always understood that means I need to uh, be collaborative, be listening, be working across these party lines to get things done. We did have a period there where um, we uh, we we had a we had a number of important votes that were uh, that we were in sort of gridlock on. We have an even numbered city council, 12, uh, 12 representatives, and of course, in probably the most significant vote uh, in recent years, uh, there were six city councilors that. Um, voted against um, a proposal of mine that would have kept our our, our police department at, uh, uh, at at approximately the levels it had been at historically um, while a study was done um, it, to look at whether there were ways to reduce the size of the department. But the council, uh, because of that gridlock, uh, instead what went forward was this uh, commitment to reducing the size of the police department by 30%. And... Uh, I resisted. I was opposed to that right from the start and brought back numerous efforts to turn that around. But unfortunately, it took 18 months to turn that issue around. And, uh, uh, you know, back to the, you know, the root of your question, that show you know, that the, where the party stood on that issue was very clear. Um, it was really an effort led by the progressive party to to uh, to reduce the, the department size without study. And um, we're still. Uh, uh, we're still <clears throat> living with the consequences of that vote now, uh, some three years later. We're talking with Mayor Moreau Weinberger. I want to return to the the topic of policing, Mayor. A couple things on that. One is, are people feeling that the pendulum is swinging back a little bit in terms of, you know, when you lose something and and then you notice the impacts of it, are they, is there more clamor for saying, hey, you know, as it turns out, we really do need more policing? Oh, absolutely, Brad. It's really for two years now, there has been a consensus at the city council that that vote, um, really rushed vote in the days after the, the terrible murder of George Floyd was a mistaken vote. Um, and uh, it was, October 2021 that the council voted um, barely, but they voted to reverse that decision and build back to at least uh, 80, uh, 87 officers. Um, we are currently at about 68, so we have a long way to go to, to get there, and it is a long, slow process to rebuild. It's really one of those classic situations where it's a lot easier to break something than it is to build it um, or rebuild it, as it were. But we, with that consensus from the council, we uh, have made a major financial commitment to signing incentives, retention incentives, to new ways of recruiting. Uh, we've added uh, capacity within our recruiting office. And we, um, you know, and we are making progress. Uh, we um, have the last two classes we've sent to the academy have been the largest classes we've had in years. We've also um, added other types of public safety uh, 
personnel to um, supplement since it is a somewhat faster process uh, and brings new skills when we hire social workers and um, <clears throat> what we call community service officers, people who wear uniform and um, expand our public safety presence but are not um, uh, officers carrying guns and badges. Uh, all of that has helped as well, um, but there's no doubt that we have less than we would like to, and, and the community absolutely, um, it, it's not just the council that thinks we need to build back the department. It's been very clear voters feel that as well. Each of the elections that ha has happened since 2021, there has been um, more and more support for the Democratic Party, which has come to be the party um, clearly uh, advocating for stronger public safety and there has been a number of ballot items that have shown that uh, voters really value a uh, professional, well-resourced police department as, as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's definitely something where there's been a strong shift and, and clear movement in public opinion. Yeah, and, and kudos as well to the addressing with law enforcement the public health, uh, mental health component of that, because I think I'm seeing that more in it. It's a valuable part of part of the whole uh, success of, of programs around the state. The last election you had was a a close election, but um, you you won, and winning is by one vote or more. Um, but you actually got the most votes that you had gotten over your career as mayor. So that would speak to me to say that you know people were hearing sort of your voice and, and the pendulum swing, yet there was also a lot of debate and discussion about issues is, is healthy, obviously, obviously, in politics. Uh, so wh what was your feeling about that? It was quite an election, Brad. It was, this was, of course, an election in March of 21, so less than a year um, after that, you know, the middle of the pandemic, less than a year from that major event in American history of, of George Floyd's death. So it was, uh, it was, it was a time of, um, it was really a remarkable kind of singular moment in, in local politics and in, in national politics. Um, the, uh, I do, it is sort of an under, I appreciate you pointing out that I actually got more votes in that, that election than at any other time. That was not something uh, that's been widely reported. It, um, it was a time of, of record high engagement and turnout, and we had a great debate, and I'm grateful that uh, we uh, did prevail. And I do think, again, yes, there have been four elections, including a special election since then. And with each, uh, each election, the vote um, has been clearer and, and more strongly aligned with uh, the um, public safety positions that uh, I really have been advocating throughout. You know, from the beginning, I said it is a mistake to cut our police department. If you want good policing, we need more resources there, not less. From the beginning, I said it is a mistake to pit racial justice and public safety against each other, the police against each other. We need both. We need good policing and we need 
uh, great progress um, with racial justice and racial equity. And, uh, and we can have both um, and we can fund both. We don't need to have these uh, goals and values and tension with each other. And we, we've done that. We've put um, far, you know, about a, a year before the murder of George Floyd, we had created for the first time a racial equity, inclusion and belonging department in Burlington. And we have uh, funded approximately $2 million a year towards that initiative, which is uh, a commitment that goes way beyond what any other Vermont community is doing, or really even the state itself um, in terms of trying to address this issue. Uh, and we've done that while also um, being very focused on rebuilding our police department. I think that's, that's the model going forward and the voters are increasingly behind that model. Yeah, uh, a good model uh, to move forward with. I want to uh, – I produced uh, Travels with Charlie with our good friend uh, Charlie Papillo, and one of the things that we did at the end of every episode is we offered our – I didn't guest, realize that was you, Brad. Those are great. That's uh, somehow that – I'm a big fan of Charlie's from, from my years work, talking with him on uh, his radio show, so I didn't realize you were uh, part of that effort. Oh, what a great – Great show that is. It, well, thank you very much. It was it was so much fun. You couldn't call it work. We just had a blast. <laughs> uh, we would give our guests a magic wand. Uh, you've you've had this long uh, four terms, uh, longest serving mayor. If you had the the magic wand or the things that you would wish for now, mayor, that you know people can listen to your experience, I would say, and, and, and hopefully carry forward a message. Wow. Okay. What would I do with a mat? If I had a magic wand right now, we change. Um, well, the, I would start with the, the drug crisis. And I, I think this is a wand that, has been waived in the past by our state leaders, and I don't understand why it's not being waived now to declare the drug crisis the top public health and public safety priority. Um, this is really what government, Governor Shumlin did in 2014 when he devoted his entire state of the state address to what he called the heroin crisis at the time. We saw years of he really got everyone's attention with that and with the follow-up work he did and got everyone, the, the, the hundreds of different people and organizations that have a role in turning this terrible crisis around. He got everyone working together and, and collaborating, coordinating. We lost that focus. We had to lose that focus during the, the pandemic. And um, what has happened since that shift in focus is that fentanyl and meth have arrived here as the dominant drugs and they have dramatically undermined the hub and spoke system that we have in place for drug treatment that was making progress in the years leading up to the pandemic. We were seeing all the metrics go in the right direction during those years. We saw opioid deaths dropping by 50% here in Chittenden County and staying at that reduced level. We saw property crime going down. Uh, it was things were working. We are now headed in the wrong direction. We are yeah. 23 almost certainly will be the third year in a row of uh, record uh, record deaths once again and all sorts of other metrics associated with that are going the wrong direction. So thank you. you know, Mayor, we're, we're think, run out of yeah. time, unfortunately, but I really appreciate you being with us and journeying with us and we'll have you back. 
Uh, this is okay. Brad. Great, Brad. Thank you for having me on, and uh, appreciate the chance. It was a great, great conversation. Take care. <laughs> you too. This is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, we will be back with uh, Brian Lapine with Vermont Air National Guard. We'll be back right after this.